cutting the line. Not happy about it, taking steps about it. Troubling questions about vaccine queue jumpers and how officials are responding. Teachers take a stand. This is absolutely ridiculous. How a power outage and the pandemic put them in a difficult position. And parents outraged by an act of bullying. This is kind of mean. You guys are so mean. What the? The disturbing video shared on social media. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. A disturbing video has emerged showing a shocking incident of apparent bullying outside a mission school. The victim is a grade 8 student and as Catherine Urquhart reports, onlookers not only were filming it, some appear to have been cheering the bullies on. Five bucks to go stop your person in the head. Put in the head. The video is sickening to watch. Two young girls can be seen kicking and punching another girl. This is kind of mean. You guys are so mean. What the? Other kids cheer on. No one helping, as the 13-year-old victim curls up in a ball to protect herself, and the attack continues. The assault happened Monday outside a Cole Heritage Park Middle School in Mission. The victim's mother is now speaking out. Her identity is blurred to protect her daughter. I was heartbroken when I first saw it. Um, I mean, even now, seeing it again, it's, it's really hard to watch. Um, as a parent, you do everything that you can to protect your child. Mission RCMP say they're now investigating the troubling incident and charges are possible. At this point, I couldn't really start to say the possible charges, but, you know, an assault, certainly. In the head. Also looking into the attack, Mission School District's superintendent, who says there has been a spike in bullying incidents. We think it's connected to COVID in that what we're finding is, broadly speaking, students are better behaved in classes, but are being kind of, in some cases, nastier outside of class. Um, and that's a broad phenomenon, especially at elementary and middle school years. The victim's mother says the bullying has been happening to her transgender lesbian daughter for months. And while the school has been trying to help, she's worried about her daughter's safety and considering taking her out of the school. It's to a point where she has to leave school or she doesn't come to school for a week because she's worried about things, kids saying things about her or throwing pens and pencils at her. Um, and it's just to a point where she's, she's done and, you know, she's almost wanting to be homeschooled. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Tough to watch. All right, Global News was the first to report allegations of COVID-19 vaccine queue jumping made by health professionals against their colleagues last night. And now there's more. The province's health minister says he's disappointed over more allegations of health care workers cutting in line. New claims this time involving doctors getting a second dose before many people got their first. Sarah McDonald reports. There were bound to be hiccups in the province's quest to vaccinate millions of people against COVID-19. And on Wednesday, on the heels of a Global News exclusive revealing allegations of queue jumping among medical professionals, health officials acknowledged more oversight is needed. The priority list is very important and one that saves lives. What you're talking about are some very significant exceptions. The instances of hospital directors and their relatives getting inoculated ahead of doctors and nurses first flagged by frontline workers. 
leftover doses at a vaccine clinic at Royal Columbian Hospital offered up in December to directors across the region, not necessarily involved in day-to-day -day direct patient care. Nobody wants to see vaccines wasted, and time is of the essence when it comes to injecting them. But healthcare professionals question why a director here at Peace Arch Hospital and two of her relatives were among the first offered those leftover doses, more than 30 kilometers away from RCH, one of the only three COVID-19 hospitals in the region where most frontline staff hadn't yet been vaccinated themselves. Another director receiving her shot days later. And I was able to get it through a contact of mine. And while frontline doctors like Michael Drasano say they only received their vaccines by chance through contacts and leftover doses. What she said was drop what you're doing and come over now. We have extra doses. Another bombshell surfaced. Global News confirming through an internal memo that some local physicians have already received their second dose of vaccine before many have had their first. Those doctors jumping the gun and jumping the line, now facing disciplinary action. A small number got a second dose uh, before um, the 35 days and in effect before other people uh, who are eligible and need to get the dose get their first dose. That's disappointing. Now one month since the first vaccine was administered in this province, a new leader of the wide-scale rollout plan has been tapped. A familiar face, Vancouver Coastal Health Chair Dr. Penny Ballum, as neither Fraser Health nor Vancouver Coastal Health provided clear numbers or confirmation of how many, if any, vaccines have been wasted. I think they're really just trying to use the vaccine rather than throw it away. Meantime, seniors advocates are once again reinforcing the importance of getting shots in the arms of priority patients and frontline workers first. This underlines the, the need to make sure that we get that vaccine in the arms of vulnerable seniors and those who look after them. While it appears exactly who qualifies as a priority is open to interpretation, for some, Sarah McDonald, Global News. All right, let's go to Keith Baldry with more on the vaccine and the updated timeline for its rollout. Keith, health officials releasing more details today. Yeah, it's a very ambitious plan to inoculate 4.3 million adults in British Columbia over a relatively short time frame. Take a look at the breakout uh, that was released today in terms of how many doses are going to be arriving in B.C. and put in people's arms. So between December and the end of March, almost 800,000 doses. But then it starts ramping up big time. April to June, 2.64 million doses. That works out to about 203,000 a week. And then it gets really busy in July, September. Uh, to the end of September, 6 million doses, almost a half a million doses a week. Now, again, this is the goal to have everybody get two shots as uh, per uh, health protocols. And also, uh, this was only involving the Pfizer vaccine and the Moderna vaccine. It does not include potential other vaccines that may be approved down the line. So we could have literally millions of doses in B.C. relatively quickly. It's a slow start, but it's going to be a big ramp up through the spring and the summer. Mm -hmm. Looking forward to that. Thanks, Keith. Mm -hmm. Bit of a bump in numbers today. Let's take a look at the infections of COVID-19. We've got 519 new cases, bringing BC's total to just over 59,000. 12 more people have died, which means we've now lost 1,031 to complications of the virus. 360 people are in hospital, 76 of them in the ICU. Nearly 52,000 people are considered recovered, leaving us with 4,810 active cases and 7,260 in self-isolation. 
Well, last night's windstorm put thousands of people in the dark and led to several school closures, including in Langley, where teachers at one school were told to report to work at another school for the day. But as John Hua reports, some of them refused to go, standing their ground for safety's sake. It's an unexpected day to play outside. After a windstorm caused power outages at six Langley schools. But somewhere inside Short Reed Community School is a group of teachers standing their ground in quiet resistance. They felt like being at a school with no heat, no power was safer for them than to go to another school and expose themselves to other people. But that was the order by the Langley School District for teachers to finish up the workday at another location, occupied by a completely different cohort of students and staff. It's obvious that it should have been changed right away and to not just be spreading our teachers and our, our staff around our community like that. Despite voicing their concerns, the district gave teachers three options. Obey the order, use their one paid personal day, or face possible investigation and discipline. Absolutely ridiculous. It's putting the teachers at complete exposure of other germs and then they're to come to school and teach our kids the next day. Absolutely ridiculous. In a statement, the Langley School District writes it is standard district practice for teachers and staff to work at other sites that are operational when a school is closed due to power outages or other unforeseen events. Adding COVID-19 health and safety measures are in place to accommodate staff from other sites. It doesn't seem like that is a very good option. They could all go home and have internet and hopefully be warm in their homes and get things you know, accomplished for the next day. Parents say Short Reed has gone above and beyond to avoid COVID exposures and forcing teachers to go to another school is a cause for concern. I'm concerned sending both my kids to school tomorrow if, if the teachers did go. The union says this issue has been raised in the past during the pandemic, but the school district refuses to listen. This latest act of defiance by teachers, a desperate effort to shed light on the risk they face every time the power goes out. John Hua, Global News. The B.C. government is under fire tonight over delays in paying out the B.C. recovery benefit. A growing number of people say they received a confirmation email after they applied, but several weeks later, they are still waiting for the money. Richard Zussman reports. It was supposed to be easy, online application for the province's COVID-19 recovery benefit, but for many, it's been a real struggle. And I've kind of at this point given up a little bit, but <laughs> I'm, I'm still hoping. So far, the province has processed applications of 1.4 million British Columbians. But there are nearly half a million applications still being processed, including Serena Dirksen's. And there are 3.7 million British Columbians eligible, which means that more than half of the eligible people haven't applied. It's been a disaster, especially for people who genuinely need the help now. The B.C. Liberals say this should not have been solely an application process, and the government has the data needed to provide the benefit for many British Columbians. And it's a slap in the face to have them now apply for money that they have been promised, that they know that they're entitled to based on the criteria, but it could have just been direct deposited in their account. Finance Minister Selena Robinson unavailable for an interview Wednesday. But the province says that one of the reasons for the backlog is so many people applied quickly and they are only now being able to get to some of those red flag applications. But people made decisions around spending this money, especially considering Premier John Horgan promised that it would be in people's bank accounts before Christmas.
I kind of relied on it a little bit for Christmas time. Um, maybe I shouldn't have done that, but I did. And then had to I borrow some money afterwards. Many people are feeling left in the dark, having applied, but receiving very little follow-up information. I right now have to rely on the food bank just to put food for me to eat. And I didn't get anything, no response, nothing. The province is asking people for patience, and applications will remain open until the end of June. Very little consequence to those who have applied and are still waiting. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Donald Trump makes history for all the wrong reasons. The U.S. president becomes the first ever to be impeached twice. How Democrats and Republicans work together to make it happen. That's next on the News Hour. Windstorm cleanup. Cars crushed by falling trees. That's later on the news hour. I'm sending you strength, whatever strength I've got. And a heartfelt message from Ryan Reynolds for a BC kid who really needs some encouragement. That's coming up as well. Right now, though, the U.S. House of Representatives has voted to impeach President Donald Trump for the second time, making him the only U.S. president to ever be impeached twice. It comes one week before Trump is slated to hand over control of the White House to President-elect Joe Biden. Reggie Cicchini is live in Washington, D.C. with more on this and what it means, Reggie. Chris, look, Democrats are calling this a victory today, that they were able to pass a bipartisan impeachment and hold President Trump accountable for what they say was his rhetoric and the incitement of the violence that took place at the Capitol one week ago. And we saw Nancy Pelosi transmit these articles of impeachment over the uh, over to the Senate earlier tonight. The open question is, when will this trial take place? Senate leadership has already said they don't intend to do this until after Joe Biden has already been inaugurated. Democrats were pushing back on that, saying, that they wanted to get this trial done in an expedient fashion. Meanwhile, President Trump is isolated inside of the White House. He's lashing out that the few staff that remain, most of them have been backing away from him in the wake of those attacks at the Capitol building. And President Trump released a statement tonight via video trying to push back on some of that violence that he was actually egging his supporters on last week when he was holding his rally outside of the White House. We have seen too many riots, too many mobs, too many acts of intimidation and destruction. It must stop. Whether you are on the right or on the left, a Democrat or a Republican, there is never a justification for violence. No excuses, no exceptions. Noticeably absent from that video, Chris, was any accepting of responsibility for the actions that took place at the White House, nor was there an apology for the lie that was fed to his supporters over the last several months that claimed that there was widespread election fraud. Ultimately, those lies are what led to the anger, and that anger is what led to the storming at the Capitol. Democrats and critics of the president say this video is simply late. Reggie Cicchini in Washington. Thanks, Reggie. Huawei CFO Meng Wanzhou is back in a Vancouver court this week asking that her bail requirements be relaxed as she fights extradition to the U.S. to face charges of fraud. As Grace Key reports, the court has heard that Meng's life on bail is substantially different than the average person's. 
Five or six threatening letters, some with bullets inside, were sent to Meng Wanzhou's home last summer. The Chinese consulate demanded Canada return the Huawei executive to China for her own safety. Those details were revealed in a bail hearing. Meng wants to ease some of her security details, citing COVID and privacy concerns for her family, who are expected to leave Canada at the end of February. What is being asked for four to six weeks to attend private restaurants in one limo instead of two? because of COVID, social distancing requirements, and the requirement uh, to have those security guards in close proximity to Hmong family members, which they don't like. Details of her lavish life while under house arrest are also being revealed. Back in May, a Boeing 777 was chartered to return her to China under the false expectation she would be freed. The court also heard about private shopping excursions and entire restaurants reserved for her. As a public relations move, this is a bust. It illuminates a billionaire lifestyle, inevitably contrasting with the detention of two Canadians. Defense says Meng has abided by her bail conditions and would not tarnish her company's reputation. Crown argues Meng is a flight risk and the risk of COVID exposure from her security is no greater than her social interactions. The judge is set to make a decision on January 29th. Grace Key, Global News. Last March, Gabriel Klein was convicted of second-degree murder and aggravated assault for killing 13-year-old Letitia Reimer and badly injuring her friend. Today, final arguments got underway in a hearing to determine if he is criminally responsible for his actions. Ramina Dea has the details. The hearing halted Wednesday morning because Gabriel Klein is ill. The judge extremely anxious he was even in the courtroom. Klein was transported back to the forensic psychiatric hospital. He later appeared by video. Now, Klein was found guilty of second-degree murder and aggravated assault in March 2020. The question now is, was he criminally responsible for what he did? Based on the evidence, defense says Klein is now a schizophrenic and he did suffer from a mental disorder when he stabbed and killed 13-year-old Letitia Reimer and injured her friend in their Abbotsford High School in 2016. Defense told the court Klein did not see the two girls. He thought he was killing monsters. He was being tortured in his head. He thought he saw a witch and zombie. One looked like it had maggots coming out of his back. The other had a deformed face. Then a voice said, kill, kill, kill. The voices were in control, not Klein. Defense says the evidence is consistent with what Klein told several doctors. The BC Review Board initially found Klein unfit to stand trial, but then decided he was fit to do so. Crown believes there are inconsistencies in Klein's evidence. Crown is expected to commence final submissions Thursday. Romina Dea, Global News. Just ahead, new technology to tackle COVID-19. This is our fan unit and control. A BC company develops an air purifier like no other. How it works next. And the aggressive coyotes taking over in Vancouver's Crown Jewel. Later. Traffic is steady in both directions over here tonight at the Portman Bridge. Westbound moving well on Highway 1 out of Surrey and just pockets of volume through Coquitlam on the approach. Kermac Collision and Auto Glass provides no-cost windshield chip repairs with your insurance coverage. And Kermac donates 100% of their income from chip repairs through Kermac Cares for Kids. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Portman Bridge. 
Good evening. Traffic is nice and steady over here tonight at the Alex Fraser Bridge in both directions. Do keep in mind, though, there is overnight maintenance and resulting lane closures between 10 p.m. and 5 a.m. Today's Lotto 649 jackpot is an estimated $5 million plus an additional guaranteed $1 million prize. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. After weeks of aggressive coyote attacks on joggers, Vancouver Stanley Park is now fully reopened. It's good news for park goers, but not for the offenders themselves, the coyotes. As Jordan Armstrong reports, it's another sobering reminder about the importance of respecting wildlife. Chowing down at the clandestine buffet of Lost Lagoon. You're not supposed to feed the birds or any wildlife, but in Stanley Park, human handouts are a problem. An animal that gets used to feeding learns a constant and easy food source and it, for, it doesn't know how to be wild anymore. That's exactly what conservation officers think happened with two coyotes. The animals started to view people as a snack source and would attack joggers. At least nine since the week of Christmas. People were just running and all of a sudden they, they, they had some pain in their legs or in some cases they saw the coyote and the coyote was very persistent and came to them and, and bite them to their calf. Some people had superficial injuries, others needed medical treatment. They were coming from behind. Uh, in some cases, they were chased and kicked, and they re-engaged in an aggressive manner. So we're not talking about a playfulness-type behavior here. Monday night, the two animals suspected of the attacks were captured and euthanized. But it's not case closed. Clearly, there's more work to be done. A lot of people came to us with frustration, saying that it's totally avoidable, because I see people and tourists coming here, and even residents coming here and feeding those coyotes on a daily basis. So expect more signage, more education, more enforcement. The fine for feeding is $345. And if you see a coyote, the advice is be loud and large. Haze it, and that's our term for scaring it off. It sounds mean, but coyotes and wildlife are, are strong and resilient and they won't be traumatized by this. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. The heartbreaking end to the story of a missing Vancouver Island teenager has led to renewed calls for more mental health services for young people. Linda Aylesworth has the latest on the death of 16-year-old André Cortemanchet and the cruel irony of a phone call his parents received days after he went missing. These are the last images of 16-year-old André Cortemanchet as he left his family's Langford home in the dark on January 1st. When his parents realized he was missing... We went out together and we searched. We called out for Andre and we, uh... Yeah. By morning, dozens had joined in the search, fearing that the depression Andre had long struggled with finally led him to do something rash. A week later, his body was discovered a few kilometers away near the Niagara Trestle. It's the kind of case that we hear of too often and it always breaks my heart. Jennifer Charlesworth, BC's representative for children and youth, recently co-authored a report on the impact that COVID-19 is having on the mental health of our children. There could be up to a five-fold increase in the number of young people that will experience uh, mental health challenges that will affect their daily living. But even before the pandemic, she says the government's mental health service delivery system was woefully inadequate. So imagine we had a system that was already dealing with significant wait lists, and now we've got the pandemic, 
and we've got an inability for many of the practitioners to provide one-to-one care. The long wait for help has been agonizing for Andre's family. Before his mother knew her son was dead, she shared her frustrations. Anger that it has taken this long, anger of fighting for a year and nine months to try and get help for my son. And it feels like it's been nothing but a Band-Aid. And then the minute he disappears, we hear he finally gets an appointment to a psychiatrist. This is a real problem that we have in the system right now. Kirsten Martin, a search volunteer who used Facebook to help rally the community to find Andre, now uses the platform in an effort to increase government support for kids struggling with mental health. No child should ever feel so destitute and so lost that they have nowhere else to turn, that they feel like they have nothing else to do other than go for a long walk in the dark. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Late this afternoon, Mental Health and Addictions Minister Sheila Malcolmson said after decades of neglect, the NDP government is working urgently to bring new services across B.C. and is building a system of care from the ground up that focuses on early intervention and prevention and reducing wait times. And a reminder, if you or someone you know needs help, you can call the Crisis Centre, B.C. Su- uh, suicide Hotline. The number is 1-800-784-2433. That service is available 24 hours a day seven days a week and in up to 140 languages. Next on the news hour, wicked wind. Came out at seven and this is what I was greeted with. Crushed cars and power outages after gusts topping 100 kilometers an hour. And with an endearing message to a sick child, superstar Ryan Reynolds proves again why he's one of Hollywood's good guys. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Well, it's been a day of cleaning up downed branches, and hydro crews are working to restore power to thousands of homes and businesses. Several cars were crushed when trees fell during the powerful overnight windstorm, which blew through much of southern BC. Kylie Stanton reports. This sound is becoming as familiar as an alarm clock. British Columbians wake up to the aftermath of yet another winter storm. Came out at seven and this is what I was greeted with. So all the caution tape out and a tree right across my car. Okay, the back cover blew off. Winds topping more than 100 kilometers an hour ripped through parts of the province Tuesday night, causing severe damage to homes and property. Totaled this car, totaled that car. That was a very tightly wound, very intense, extra-tropical cyclone that made it to the south coast and it was a storm that kept its strength into its landfall and all the way through into the prairies now where they're having to deal with it today. Now the cleanup begins. In West Vancouver, that includes this octopus that washed ashore along with all the debris now littering the seawall. The cable pool bridge is now closed, no longer structurally sound after fallen trees left it badly damaged. Of course, there are probably a few trampolines, like this one, out for a little adventure. And while the sun is finally out, a lot of people are still in the dark. Hopefully it's going to come back on early this afternoon. At the peak of the storm, 200,000 BC Hydro customers were without power, forcing schools to close in Nacusp and Langley's Alder Grove. It was the worst I've ever seen. The winds were blowing about 1 a.m. 
Power went out about 108. But crews have been making progress, with 80% of the outages now restored. This storm uh, really hit almost every section of the province. Um, and so we will work uh, throughout the afternoon and into the evening um, and overnight if necessary to restore customers as soon as possible. The good news, this could be the last blast of winter we see for a while. An end to the parade of storms is finally in sight. That yellow thing in the sky is going to come back and we're going to reacquaint with it. It's going to be wonderful. Kylie Stanton, Global News. That yellow so, thing in the sky. It's so confusing. Yeah. A lot of people were looking upstream <laughs> strangely <laughs> at it today. All right, meteorologist Christy Gordon uh, joins us. It was a pretty crazy night, but yes, at least it was dry today for the cleanup. Oh, yes, exactly. A lot of people getting out to see all the damage around the region. But boy, the warmth of the sunshine, even though it wasn't incredibly warm, we're still in the winter, but uh, you could sure feel it today. I wanted to just show you some of the peak wind gusts across the south coast with the strongest out through the uh, Hope area at 100 kilometers an hour. But Vancouver, 91. And by the way, across the south coast, we still have 11,000 homes without power. Now, when we look at these peak wind gusts, just to give you perspective, um, uh, we were 91 kilometers an hour at YVR is the third strongest that we have seen in January. Uh, so incredible strength. But to give you perspective even further, Stanley Park windstorm, we had estimates of about 120 kilometer an hour wind gusts. And so for the White Rock Pier windstorm, 100. So we were below that, but still significant damage. And these were the peak wind gusts in the interior. We're talking about that 60 to 75 kilometer an hour range. And in the interior, still 6,000 people without power. So still, still certainly reeling from that storm. Now today the sun was beautiful. Tomorrow we're going to see another dry day but more cloud cover tomorrow and by tomorrow evening you can expect a change once again as the next system rolls on shore. So for Metro Vancouver it's likely not until the late evening hours closer to midnight. So enjoy the sunshine tomorrow. As I mentioned not clear blue sky that we saw today. We'll see a bit more cloud cover. 8 degrees as our high and then it's tomorrow night that we're back to wet weather and we are going to see that into our Friday morning, but we should end the work week with some breaks of blue sky. And I'll leave you with our central windows weather window from Brad Atchison, who's a great weather watcher of ours. This is the Stanley Park seawall today after they had the king tide today, as well as the winds and uh, certainly some damage left there. Active. All right, thanks. Good ever. Christy. All right, Squire joins us now with a look ahead to sports, and everybody's talking about the Canucks tonight, first game of the season. I would do this to see what time in the game starts, but I never wear a watch. <laughs> it's soon. It's after our show, though, so there's no point changing the channel yet. Uh, the uh, Canucks looked very loose for tonight's opener in Edmonton, so much so that I think this is Antoine Roussel. Did a little stick knock and Elias Pettersson. Watch. Oh, come on, man. I'm trying to get ready for the game, like Braden Holpe. Awesome. All right, thanks, Squire. And a little boy from Prince George gets a message from his hero, Ryan Reynolds. That's coming up later. It feels like 
the NHL season just ended. It's because it kind of did. Kind of did. And, <laughs> and now, now it, here it is again. Yeah. <laughs> I know, but it was weird. It ended at a weird time, and it's starting at a weird time. Everything. But it's been a weird year mm-hmm. last year and even this year so far. Okay. So will Jake Furtanen, the man standing right beside me, be smiling at the end of tonight's game against the Oilers? The Canucks start the season in the same building they ended the last season when they were bubble boys in Edmonton. Vertanen will likely have a chance to play the part of J.T. Miller tonight, who is in Vancouver with Jordy Ben. Now, Miller has been staying with Ben. Ben has now a presumptive positive COVID case. He's gone from positive to negative to positive. And I don't know what's going on. But anyway, whatever the case, those two are now in COVID protocol. And because of that, they can't play this week. So, Jake, he can play can play on the number one line yeah, it's a big opportunity and you know and you know whatever whatever happens in whatever position i'm in um i just want to make the most of it the reality is jake Vertanen has never been in a better position now in his sixth professional season he'll at least start the year riding shotgun alongside elias Pettersson and brock besser how long the ride lasts skating with the connects potential mvp candidate well that'll be up to jake you know, Greener knows I can kind of play up and down the lineup. And I think for me personally, just wherever he puts me, I can I can try to fit in as much as I can and use my speed and you skate a lot. I think that's just something that I, you know, it's one of my better assets I have is my skating. So just, you know, just a lot of skating and working hard and whatever position I'm in, just fitting in. Heading into the season opener against Edmonton, Travis Green spoke openly about having his top line of Elias Pettersson JT Miller and Brock Besser go head-to-head against the opposition's top line. Whether that remains the case now that JT Miller is out of the lineup remains to be seen. However, Green's become a big fan of Besser's improved play at both ends of the ice, so we'll see if that translates into heavier minutes. I talked about PD yesterday and being comfortable with him and Bess, for that matter, uh, playing against top players in the league. I think they've both progressed to the point now where... Uh, they can do it. They showed it in the bubble. And uh, When you play against Edmonton, though, you're it's a little bit different animal when you're playing against McDavid and Dreisaitl. It's two of the best in the league and in the world. So uh, it's always a challenge when you play this team, but our guys are excited to, to play tonight. You know, we want to build off what we uh, did last year, and, and, you know, everybody's really excited to get things going, a little bit of normalcy in our lives. And, um, you know, I think... Um, you know, we're excited about our new group and, and the new guys that have come in. And I think, uh, yeah, I can speak for myself anyway. I'm, I'm excited. Well, we all are, really. Uh, Freddie Anderson and Leafs against the Montreal Canadiens, who now have Josh Anderson. They gave him a seven-year contract worth just over $38 million. He's got two goals for them tonight. Thomas Tatar. He's loose. It's a breakaway. It's a goal. That made it 3-1 for Montreal, but Toronto battled back, and Jimmy Vesey got his first as a Maple Leaf as the uh, puck gets loose here. He makes a move on Carey Price, and I have just been told that Toronto apparently has scored the winner in overtime. Hey, here's two guys who used to coach the Canucks, Elaine Vigneault and Mike Sullivan, who was an assistant to John Tortorella, but when Tortorella was suspended for going after the Flames inside the dressing room, he had to be the Canucks head coach for a few games. Oops! That's a bad idea, Carter Hart. Gives it away to uh, Sidney Crosby, who one-hands it. 
That made it 2-2 in the second, but the uh, Flyers had a good third period. Michael Raffle. He wins the raffle, and they win the game. Philadelphia 6-3 in the Battle of Pennsylvania. That was the first game of the season. Okay, Vancouver's Rebecca Marino is qualified for the Australian Open, which will start in February. She needed to win three matches to make it. It's the first time she has gotten into a Grand Slam event since 2013. A foot injury kept her off the court last year. Good for her. All right, Tottenham, Fulham. Something ham against something ham in English Premier League action. That is a Harry Kane goal. The diving header. But that's the only goal Tottenham would get. Fulham would tie it. And that is the way it ended. 1-1. Oh, here I am again. I was just looking for something here. Hold on now. Yes, it was Ivan Cavallero who scored that goal. I got my papers all stuck together. Okay, after an MVP display of whining, James Harden was finally traded by Houston today. He's going to Brooklyn to join Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving when he shows up to form a new NBA super trio. It was a four-team trade involving Cleveland and Indiana as well. Houston gets three players, but more importantly, they get four first-round draft picks and the ability to swap four other first-rounders. But Harden is now with Brooklyn. All right, thank you. Thanks very much, Squire. Let's check in with Jay Durant for a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jay? Thanks very much, Sophie. Breaking news out of Burnaby, where a pedestrian has reportedly been struck by a bus at the Sperling Skytrain Station. We have a crew on scene, and we're getting an update tonight on one of the largest COVID-19 outbreaks in the B.C. interior as well. A lockdown has been imposed in Canham Lake near 100 Mile House, where 44 people have now tested positive, plus a nearly 100-year-old wooden steam-powered tugboat is getting new life thanks to a B.C. shipbuilding company and some dedicated history buffs. Well, those stories and a lot more are coming up tonight at 11. Sounds good. Thanks, Jay. And when we come back, why Ryan Reynolds, the superstar actor, has a new friend in Prince George. The call-out to actor Ryan Reynolds has worked for a Prince George boy battling chronic disease. Overnight, a response from the brave young boy's superhero. Caden Fanshawe has the story of a dream come true. Hey Ryan, Brody and Randy here. Tuesday afternoon, Randy and Brody Derry put out a call to their favorite superhero, Ryan Reynolds. Oh! Oh, hello. You are the coolest for so many reasons, right Brody? Yep. Yep. As 11-year-old Brody gets chemotherapy treatment for his stage 3B Hodgkin's lymphoma at BC Children's Hospital while he's also battling Crohn's disease. That not taking long to get the attention of Ryan Reynolds himself. Brody, it's Ryan Reynolds. Uh, I just uh, heard a little bit about your story and I just wanted to send you this video and and, uh, let you know that I'm thinking about you, that I'm sending you tons of love and I'm sending you strength, whatever strength I've got. Uh, and just, man, you have a, a ton of people in your life that love you so much. And um, I know you've been going through it. I know it's been a challenge lately, but you know something, Brody, you're just the man for the job. Uh, so I'm sending you lots of love. I hope I get to meet in person one of these days and, um, and hang in there. Okay, pal, bye. For Brody, it was a dream come true. 
Hey, that was really cool. That was I felt I feel really special about that, and it would be really cool to see you, Ryan. Thank you. MLA Shirley Bond, just one of many who lended a helping hand, making sure Deadpool would get back to Brody. I think especially during COVID when you, when you, you know, there's so many challenges for people, you know, to see a little boy uh, that's fighting in this way and then to see his hero respond uh, as a result of a story uh, makes all of our hearts uh, feel so great this morning. So way to go, Brody. We're cheering you on. And just think about this. You've got Ryan Reynolds in your corner. The story of a community coming together once again to make a dream come true and make Brody's battle a little bit better. Caden Fanshaw, CKPG News. Brody's got the whole Global BC team in his corner, too. Well he done. Does. All right, Squire, uh, sad news. We've lost yeah. an Olympian. Yeah, Kathleen Heddle, um, three-time champion, um, lost her battle with cancer at the uh, age of 55, uh, lived here, so she was a great one. She brought us many great Olympic memories. Mm -hmm. Thanks for watching, everyone. Have a good night.